Hi, welcome to the Bite Size Nutrition Podcast. I'm Jillian. And before we jump into the topic for today, I wanted to ask you for a big favor. I am currently trying to understand who my listeners and social media followers are and what they're struggling with, what they need. And a question that I've been really curious about is, are you an expat and or do you work from home? If you are either of those things, I've linked a survey in the show notes below that will take you literally two minutes. I'm putting together something that will be incredibly helpful for for you if you are either of these things and knowing more about you helps me make this upcoming project even more impactful. And so the question that we are answering today is, is emotional eating always a bad thing? And so I could stop the podcast here and literally just say no, but let's dig into this because I think this deserves a little bit more explanation and understanding because I think this is something that a lot of us battle with. I know it's something that I really struggled with for a long time. So I want to tell you a little bit of a personal story. So for me, sugar always signified celebration and comfort. I remember when I was little, so I don't know if I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but my mom passed away when I was nine and until she got sick, her and I were pretty much inseparable. We did everything together. And I remember when we, when I was little, I think I was like four or five. And I remember we would go to frozen yogurt all the time. We'd always have these treats together. And I know for her, especially based on stories that my dad has told me that she definitely really loved sugar. She really loved sweet things. She definitely had a sweet tooth. And so I, as I got older, after my mom was gone, I realized that sugar had become kind of my go-to for stress, loneliness, negative emotions, but also positive things as well. And, and so I wanted to tell you the story to say that emotional eating, if it's not causing you any kind of distress, or if it's something that you're not really concerned about, then it's probably not an issue for you. But if it is causing you some sort of distress, then in certain contexts, contexts, it's probably not great. So For example, if you feel guilt or shame afterwards, or if it becomes a habit, something that you're simply reacting to situations instead of making a conscious decision about it, it's probably something in your life that could use a little bit of attention. Emotional eating, if it is something that is distressing to you, I want to tell you it's not solved by going on a diet. This can be something that maybe it puts a bandaid on it by putting, you know, if you put a strict rule around what you can and can't eat, then maybe for a little while you can kind of white knuckle it and avoid the thing that you used to use for emotional eating. But in the long term, this can really only exacerbate the stress or discomfort caused by the emotional eating habits. And this is because emotional eating is not a food issue. It's not a self-control issue. It's not a willpower thing. It's an issue with emotions. And it may take professional help from a therapist and or eating disorder specialist to work through. And so I wanted to touch on this today, not because this in any way replaces help that you may get from a therapist or someone that specializes in eating disorders, but it can bring to light some things that might be going on with your emotional eating habits. And it can give you a little bit of a different perspective around emotional eating and, and how it shows up in your life. And also why sometimes it's really not a bad thing. And and I think that we demonize it a little bit too much. And so I wanted to start out with a few different factors that I think affect emotional eating. And the biggest one is emotional regulation. And that is, are you understanding and processing and expressing your emotions in a way that feels conducive to your life? So I think a lot of us either are not aware of the emotions that we're feeling, or we don't feel safe enough in our daily lives 
to express them, or we believe that certain emotions are bad and thus we should not be feeling them. And so I think of it like this. If, if someone's angry and you tell them, Hey, calm down, don't be angry. Does that ever work? Like we know we would never do that. I mean, sometimes we do, but we know that it doesn't work. Telling someone to calm down when they're angry usually just has the reverse effect. It sort of exacerbates or makes the emotion bigger or stronger. And the same thing works in our own head. So if we are not understanding, processing, and managing our emotions in a productive way, what that may look like is maybe you have, you know, the feeling of loneliness or sadness. And instead of actually recognizing and acknowledging that emotion, you either aren't aware of it. And so it's affecting you, but you're not necessarily sure why or how, or you're aware of it, but you're telling yourself that's not okay. And so if you tell yourself it's not okay, it's kind of the same thing as telling someone not to be angry. Yes, that person may hide their anger because they don't feel like it's acceptable in the moment, but the the emotion doesn't actually go away. And so even though we think we're doing a good thing by not quote unquote, showing emotion or expressing a negative emotion, we're not actually helping ourselves. And so I think that the biggest factor for emotional eating is, can we start expressing our emotions and acknowledging our emotions in a way that feels good and productive and can actually help us work through them instead of avoiding them? And then there's two other big factors that I think can be really, that can really make a difference when it comes to emotional eating. So sleep is definitely a big one. And so not sleeping enough or not getting quality sleep affects emotional regulation. You might notice that when you don't get great sleep, maybe you're more prone to crying or you're more prone to mood swings or you get angrier quicker. And so we're not great at emotional regulation when we're tired. And it also affects decision-making skills. And so often when we're low on sleep, we tend to make more reactive decisions and more impulsive decisions than perhaps some of the thoughtful decisions that you may make when you're rested. And so honestly, if you feel crazy when you're underslept, you're not alone. This is something that is very very real. And so if you're noticing and this, this can be really helpful to just start noticing. Right. And I talk about noticing a lot is noticing. How do I feel on days where I feel like I've gotten restful sleep? And how do I feel on days that I haven't gotten restful sleep? How do I react to certain things? What do my emotions do? And, and starting to actually pay attention to that, whether that's writing it down or taking notes on it. I know it's something that I ask all of my clients and check-ins is about sleep um, and mood and mindset. And I think that it can be really helpful for someone if you do notice that you are more emotional or struggle to manage your eating habits when you haven't gotten as much sleep. Um, it can be really helpful to, to perhaps start focusing on sleep instead of just jumping straight to something like emotional regulation or putting rules around food or whatever that is. Also understand that lack of sleep does affect our hormones. And so we are more likely to be craving things that we associate with emotional eating habits like sweets or carbohydrates. Um, those tend to be things that we crave more when we're underslept. And another factor that is a huge component of emotional eating. And, and honestly, we can't really separate any of these. I think sleep may be the one that maybe you can kind of separate a little bit. Maybe you're great at managing emotions when you get a good night's sleep, but not so great when you don't get a good night's sleep. But learned experience is the third thing that I think is really important to think about. And this is how have you learned to interact with food and your emotions? So it's not just how have you learned to interact with food and it's not just learned how do you, how have you learned to interact with your emotions? It's both. And so if you were never taught to manage your emotions, or if you were taught that emotions are something to be ashamed of, or in your home, emotions were not never something you talked about, it makes a lot of sense that you are not 
comfortable expressing and processing emotions. And you might sort of be like tucking them away, especially if that was coupled with a learned experience of, you know, we don't talk about things, but we eat our feelings, so to speak. Um, you may have also seen this modeled at home. This may have been something, you know, I know, for example, you may have seen like your mom uh, later at night by herself when she thought she was on her own, maybe she was eating uh, or maybe, you know, anytime you were sad and you were offered something uh, as a, you know, you were offered something to get you to stop crying as a kid. So we're going to talk about that a little bit in, in, in a moment, but all of that said, I want to talk a little bit about why emotional eating is not always a bad thing. As I mentioned before, it is an issue if it's something that is distressing to us or if we if we feel like it needs to be managed. But if you're someone that you're like, hey, I know when I'm happy, I tend to eat this and I know when I'm sad, I tend to do this, but it doesn't really bother me, then it's not it's not something you should be stressed out about. Like if it's not stressing you out, don't stress out about it. Because it's important to also remember that all eating, not all of it, but I would say most eating to a certain extent is emotional. And so when we think about the components of emotional eating, remember childhood eating. So a lot of our eating habits are associated with memory, cultural eating. So certain foods that are associated with holidays, family time, et cetera, uh, relationships. So most of our relationships have a food component to them. Think about the, you know, your first date with your partner or anytime you have a date night, really, uh, there's some sort of food involved usually, or when you hang out with your girlfriends or, or your guy friends or whoever that is, usually there's some food involved. And, and so going back to childhood eating, I think this is one that has such a huge impact because it's not just the eating habits, but it's also the emotions connected to the eating habits that then influence us later in life. And so understanding what you learned about food and about emotion as a kid is, is so interesting and has such a big impact on how you understand your eating habits now. And so maybe when you were younger, and I think this was really, really common. I think this is changing a lot with parents now, but I think, you know, I was born in in the eighties, late eighties. And I know that growing up, it was still very, very common for food to be a prize or a punishment. Um, maybe you were given ice cream when you got A's, or maybe you were offered chocolate to stop crying. I remember I was actually getting a blood test done at a hospital recently. I think it was like last summer. And I remember seeing a dad come out and, and his kid was crying or was upset about something. And I heard him say, if you stop crying or if you're brave, something like that, we can go get ice cream afterwards. And I was like, okay, so the dad is clearly doing something that he thinks is helpful for the child because he's trying to help the child be brave, but he's also associating, you know, if I don't cry, so if I don't show an emotion, then I get ice cream. And then that habit can be reinforced as we get older. And so also at home, you, you may have gotten certain foods when you were good and certain foods may have been withheld when you were bad, quote unquote. And you also may have learned that alongside with this is, you know, Hey, if I'm sad, I should stop being sad. And if I stop being sad, I get ice cream or cookies or whatever that is. And eating may have become a more acceptable act or more acceptable activity than actually expressing how you felt. And so I want to think, I want you to think about it this way. If you never learned how to manage your emotions or how to disassociate food from being a prize or a punishment as you were young, when you were younger, 
please don't punish yourself for it now and think, oh, I should know how to do this. And this is something I hear all the time from clients is I, you know, I should be able to do this. I'm an adult. I should be able to do this. And here's an analogy for you. If I ask you to build, to build me a table, but you've never learned carpentry, would you be pissed off at yourself for not knowing how to build that table? And you may be like, well, the two aren't related, but they actually are. Because if you've never specifically learned how to manage your emotions effectively, or even how to identify your emotions, or you've never actually taken time to identify the fact that you see food as a prize or a punishment, then you can't be mad at yourself. Or I mean, I guess you can be mad at yourself, but please don't because it's not very helpful. Also understanding that when it comes to emotion, there's a lot of cultural aspect and memory aspect and and nostalgia and sentiment around food. And so I, you know, I can think of, for example, matzo ball soup for me will always remind me of Friday night dinners. My family's Jewish and matzo ball soup is, is a Jewish traditional food. I will always think of sitting in my grandmother's dining room and eating that with my family. And so it's normal that certain foods feel like home. And especially, you know, I'm an expat. I live in Spain. My family lives in both California and, and the UK. And so for me, certain foods feel like home and I'm not home. So when we're feeling nostalgic or sentimental or lonely, it makes sense that sometimes we turn to foods that help us feel like home or feel like care. Um, I also want to mention here that that there's a lot of emotions that we've been feeling over the last two years that were a lot easier to ignore when life was very go, go, go. So since the pandemic, there's been a huge uptick in emotional eating and people quote unquote eating their feelings. I'm using air quotes here. And when we think about it, loneliness, disconnection, nostalgia, um, being sentimental, those are big drivers of emotional eating because there's so much memory associated with food. And so during the pandemic, people, especially at the very beginning, people felt super disconnected. There are a lot of emotions coming up that they may have, that people don't feel prepared or equipped to communicate. And, and so a lot of that came through with, Hey, I'm going to bake banana bread or make sourdough bread or, or make these, you know, traditional foods that remind me of home, because there's a lot of things going on with my emotions that I don't know how to deal with. And so all of these things that I've talked about understand why eating is emotional. We can't really say it's good or it's bad because it's all context dependent. Right. And I want to make it very clear that there's a difference between thinking I'm sad, like recognizing I'm feeling sad. I, I feel like eating cookies. I also recognize that eating a cookie isn't going to help me be less sad, but also I really just want a cookie. And that's the difference between eating emotionally as a reaction. So the reaction would be feeling sad, not taking the time to actually recognizing that, recognize that emotion, maybe going to the cupboard and picking out the cookies and eating them. And then later still feeling the sadness or the response is, I know what's happening. I'm going to make a conscious decision to manage it this way. And, and that's a decision rather than a reaction. And so I want to give, like with all of my podcast episodes, some actionable tips to start working through this. If you do feel like emotional eating is something that you struggle with. And so first, I think it's important to do a breakdown, a little bit of a breakdown of the difference between emotional hunger versus biological hunger. And so this is, this can be very nuanced and biological hunger feelings can feel very different for, for everyone. I will link in the show notes to a PDF that breaks this down a little bit farther and an Instagram post I have on this, but here are, here's a little bit of a breakdown that can help you. So biological hunger. So this is, this is physiological hunger. Like your body needs energy. 
usually comes on a bit by bit over time. It's, it's not something that hits you like a ton of bricks, whereas emotional hunger often p- appears instantly or all at once. It's usually not a gradual sensation that increases little by little over time. Biological hunger is associated with a physical sensation. So you're going to feel it somewhere in your body as long as you're paying attention to it. This can take practice because many people are not used to listening to biological hunger. So you will notice it perhaps in your stomach, maybe a gurgling in your stomach or an empty feeling in your stomach. You may feel lightheaded or have low energy. You may feel it somewhere in your body with fatigue, something like that. Um, and, And emotional hunger, there's no physical sensation associated with it. It's something that you think about it and then it feels like an urge, but you're not noticing that physical sensation. Biological hunger will normally appear a few hours after a complete meal. So if you're eating solid meals, it will take some time for you to gradually then feel that biological hunger come on again, whereas emotional hunger can come on at any time, even if you're not physiologically hungry. And then biological hunger, really what any, any food that you eat is going to help reduce that hunger. So let's say, even if you feel you're like, oh, I really feel like eating, you know, uh, a piece of cake. If you're biologically hungry, even if you don't eat a piece of cake, that hunger will reduce, even though you may not be satisfied. So that's a whole nother topic, but biological hunger doesn't need a specific food to be satisfied. It also disappears or is reduced after you eat something. And the last thing on biological hunger that I'll say for now is it's not urgent. So if you are feeling biologically hungry, even though you are feeling hungry, it's not something that you have to eat right this second until it gets to sort of the extreme. Usually you'll start feeling hungry and you can wait, you know, 15, 20 minutes, even an hour before it gets to the point where you're like, okay, I really need to eat now. Whereas emotional hunger, it is associated with specific foods and flavors. So it's not satisfied by really anything. And, and so it may be, you know, crunchy, salty, sweet, or a specific, a specific type of food or a specific recipe. And it often appears in reaction to certain tasks or certain emotions. And so it's, it's, um, emotional hunger is often an avoidance. It's not, instead of moving towards the emotion and trying to understand it, we're trying to avoid the emotion or create sort of like a numbing. And it can appear at any time, even if your body hunger, or you don't have any body hunger, you're not biologically hungry. Emotional hunger can appear really anytime. It doesn't usually disappear after eating. And this is why we tend to eat more than we quote unquote wanted to when, when we're dealing with emotional hunger. It, it also feels usually quite urgent. It's not something that can wait. And so if you've managed to recognize kind of the difference between emotional and biological hunger and understand that sometimes it's a combination of the two, here's some, some actionable tips to start working on emotional eating. So a big one, a really big one, and this is kind of an over, an overarching tip is to understand your core values and what lights you up. Sometimes emotional eating habits can be driven by just an overall general sense of unease And that may be because you're doing a lot of things in your life that don't feel aligned to your core values or who you want to be. Or maybe you feel like you're not able to express yourself in certain ways that really light you up. And that's why part of self-care is sometimes saying no to other people so that you can create space for yourself to take care of your own needs. It makes sense that you're going to eat emotionally if your needs aren't being met, especially if that's something that's happening over a prolonged period of time. And remember that this is an issue that is really a symptom of a larger issue. So the problem itself is not eating cookies when I'm sad. That is a symptom of of something else that's a bit larger. And and here's some practical stuff. So I feel like the the value thing is kind of a very big topic and some, some really practical things. Give yourself a pause before you start eating and actually just observe, notice, create some space between that trigger 
and your response to that trigger. So if emotional eating is a habit for you, it's probably a very instantaneous thing. I feel this way. I make this decision. Sometimes maybe you might debate with yourself. Should I, shouldn't I, Oh, this is not okay. This is okay. So give yourself a pause. And instead of, of doing sort of a judgment of this is okay, this is not okay, I should do this, I shouldn't do this, start getting curious about the emotion that you're feeling. And even if you don't know what emotion that is quite yet, start exploring it and opening up space for you to ask these questions. Another practical tip is to start naming emotions, even if you get it wrong. And this is something that most of us suck at. They've done some, some observational studies and asked, you know, surveys of people. And most people, the average of emotions that we, or names of emotions that we use to describe our emotions are three. It's usually happy, angry, and stressed, I believe are the three. I may be wrong with that. And we usually, so we usually just stick to really a very few amount of words and you can start with that. That's totally fine. The important part is to actually just start naming those emotions. And I'm going to link a a tool in the show notes that is really helpful. I use this with clients a lot and it just gives you a lot of different names for emotions. You can start getting curious of, okay, is this stress or is this perhaps something else? And there's a psychologist that I mentioned on the podcast before, Susan David, who talks about emotional agility, naming emotions, and then creating that space between emotions and ourselves. And so two things that she says that I really love are first, instead of saying, I am stressed, start saying, I am feeling stressed, or I am feeling a certain emotion. And then the second thing is, if you are struggling to name your emotions, if you, you can start with like, I'm happy, I'm angry, I'm stressed. And then offer yourself two alternative options. And you can use the the tool that I'm going to link in the show notes for that. And then the third actionable tip is to practice different coping mechanisms. And so sometimes we just find ourselves eating emotionally because we haven't expanded our toolbox of coping mechanisms. And this may be because you're still dealing with those learned behaviors from childhood and you weren't really aware of them until we started talking about it. And so this is where your core values can really help guide you. So for example, one of my core values is creativity. So on one side, if I'm really missing a creative outlet, I'm way more likely to turn to food or other coping mechanisms that aren't super productive, but also I know this about myself. And so that means that coping mechanisms that I've developed and implemented into my life are things like reading fiction, which for me is an incredible outlet. Um, I'll, I'll notice myself singing to my dog. So just inventing and creating little stupid songs, or I'll get creative with the things that I find in my fridge. So sometimes I'll just put on some music. I'll look in my fridge and I'll do almost like an iron chef style thing with the stuff I have in my kitchen. And that for me are great creative outlets and great coping mechanisms. And so knowing your core values can help you build that toolbox. And then you'll also have to practice them. So right now, emotional eating is the easy one for you. It's the easy coping mechanism, the one that you're comfortable with. So you actually have to intentionally practice the others before you're going to feel comfortable with them. With that, I'm going to wrap up here because I think there was a lot covered in this. And and this is something that I work on with all of my clients. And and I share this also, I share a lot about this also on social media, if you follow me there. And mindful eating habits are such a powerful tool to help you eat in a more intentional way and also to create space for you to be more aware of how you interact with food. So I put together a little mini course 
that has five key mindful eating habits. And I will link that also in the show notes. So if you're not sure where the show notes are, if you tap in your media player on like the, the show and then the actual episode, it should have a drop down where it says maybe show more or something like that. And you'll see some links that you can click on. And I do have, so I have an email mini course that takes you through five key, key mindful eating habits. It's totally free and it's an awesome, awesome practice. And I do want to just offer spoiler alert. I may be working on a course that will teach you some mindful eating habits and how to actually implement those in your life so that you can better manage things like snacking, overeating, emotional eating, and help you bring some more peace to how you eat. With that, my friend, if you are enjoying the Bite Size Nutrition podcast, please give me a little share on social media or share me with a friend. Uh, I'm sure you know someone in your life that is dealing with emotional eating that would probably really enjoy this. Or maybe it's something that you haven't talked about with them yet. But anyways, I'm, I'm sure you know someone that, that could appreciate this. And I would appreciate it so much if you did that. I always am also taking questions and topics for upcoming episodes. And so you're welcome to send me those on Instagram at Bite Size Nutri. And I want to thank you so much for joining in and hanging out with me. Don't forget to give the podcast a follow wherever you're listening so that you get notifications on new episodes. And I will see you again very, very soon.